Good morning. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome to be able to come to my home church multiple Sundays in a row. Uh, it's so nice not to just be home for, you know, two or three Sundays and then gone again. I'm really uh, appreciating the amount of time that the Lord has told me to be home for this time. Um, I'm guessing in preparation for what's next, but while I'm here, I'm really loving being able to work um, with the team here. We have an amazing church. This community of people, this church is fantastic. Uh, and I think I, I say it each time that I'm given the microphone. The authenticity um, of the people in this place, it's real, we're real. Um, and you don't get that everywhere. So thank you for being you. Uh, this morning, the word that I'm bringing to share, it's not all about Cambodia. There are some examples in there. Um, the word that the Lord has been, the message, the themes that he's been talking to me about in the past year uh, have really culminated into this message. It's, um, it's challenging. Um, I'm going to be speaking about what he's been teaching me um, because I feel that's what he's asking me to share. So um, it won't all be laughs and warm fuzzies, um, but I guess I can't apologize because I'm, I'm speaking what I feel he wants me to be speaking. Um, don't you love it when God reinforces things like... I'm reading, I'm always reading more than one book, which I don't actually recommend. I don't think it's the best use of multi, I don't actually think I can multitask that well. Uh, but I'm always reading more than one book. And uh, uh, I love it when, when God brings themes up, even when you think, like you look at the title of the book and they're not even, they're, they're not the same, they're not the same theme. And then you're talking to people and they're reading or they've been studying and God's showing them similar stuff. I love it when that happens. You're like, wow, okay, I'm listening, God. I know you're speaking to me about something. Um, I've been reading um, a couple of books, Undercover by John Bevere, uh, a book called The Path by Rick Joyner. Um, and the themes, they're pretty heavy. The themes that I've been really chewing on and processing and recognizing that God is telling me to uh, act, not just chew and digest, but actually do something with it. Pretty big themes. Um, an awareness of the fear of the Lord. Um, lawlessness and what that is. Uh, and repentance. Are you ready? <laughs> um, so in the last year, um, in, uh, in, in Phnom Penh, I've been, as I've sort of given you a little bit of an update, there's, there's quite a few things that I've been working and being involved in. And one of them has been uh, sharing the word of the Lord in prison. Um, CC2, uh, Correctional Centre number two on the outskirts of Phnom Penh is a women and, women and youth prison. Deb may have talked to you a little bit about it. She came with me um, when she was, when she came and stayed with me when Kat and her came to see me. And uh, the women in, that I teach Bible to, there's about anywhere from sort of 10 to 15 on a, on a Tuesday morning for two hours. That's all. Uh, little did I know that just two hours every week was going to fully change my life again. <laughs> Um, 
So the women were baptized uh, before I, my, my friend was going home on furlough to Canada and she didn't want these women who had just been baptized to uh, stop the momentum of, of what God was doing. And so she asked me, did I have time? Would I be able to take this class every Tuesday for a couple of hours? I'm like, yeah, awesome. Of course I will. Uh, Prison Fellowship is an organization that I have a real heart for and I've been working with for um, three or four years and I wear multiple hats um, within that organization. Um, And so, sure, why not add teaching for two hours on a Tuesday? Fun. Uh, But I'm not a teacher. I've never been a teacher. I've never been to Bible school, Bible college. I know what I know from sitting and listening, from listening to podcasts, and from doing life with God in my life. Um, So every Tuesday morning, I would leave my house on my bike at about quarter to six, um, and I would bike to the office um, amid the crazy peak hour traffic. And when I got to the office, those of us that were heading into the two prisons which are next to each other, the men's prison and the women and youth prison, we would get in one of the PFC vehicles and we would go to prison. So. Were we, in, if we had been in New Zealand going these few kilometres, it might have taken us 10, 12 minutes. Uh, usually it took us anywhere from 30 to 55. One day it took us an hour and a half. Depends who's decided to dig up what road, which detours that were not signposted we had to take. Maybe someone would erect uh, a tent because they were going to have a wedding that day and block the entire main road, because you can. Uh, So you never knew how long it was going to take to get there. Um, So we'd go past, you know, we'd get onto the outskirts of town and we'd be in the bit of the countryside and we'd see cows that are skinny as I never eat beef over there. I don't even know where the beef comes from. There's hardly anything on the cows. Um, Rice paddies, we'd pass policemen sleeping on their motorbikes. We'd pass everything and anything. We'd pass one of the biggest temples, Buddhist temples in the city. Um, It's on the same road going out to the prison and um, we'd be praying in the car and singing and declaring God's will and whatever was going to happen in the two prisons while um, the bunch of us, normally four or five people, were going off to do um, different areas of ministry. So we'd get there and we'd sign in and we'd be padded down and there's not really security. I mean, you just walk in through through a gap and there's some, not even razor wire actually, it's just... um, concrete walls with broken glass cemented to the top, shards of pointy glass. Um, And so there's no like metal detectors, you just pat it down and you have to leave everything behind. So the only thing that I I was allowed to take in a Bible and I was allowed to take in A4 sheets of paper or whatever we were gonna learn that day. Um, And uh, I'd go down the pathway and I'd pass um, women going to, you know, have breakfast or whatever children, so there are children and some children in prison with their mothers because they have nowhere else to be that is safe. Um, and I'd get to the, the area where the prison fellowship class classrooms are. They're about half the size of the stage and they're just open air, three concrete block walls with, um, I don't even actually want to think about what the brown splatters on the walls are, um, and, the, and we'd get out plastic chairs that had to be dusted down every time we got there. There was always, there is always, I don't know why they burn tyres and rubber, but there's always that smell of burning rubber, and you can just see the little flakes of rubber um, falling, so the, the chairs were always disgusting and you'd have to clean them off. And I'd sign in with the, with the guard that was there, and then he would go and, um, 
and get the girls. And then I would hear laughing and they'd be, and they still have to, you know, sort of walk in line and be somewhat um, controlled, but they were excited. You could hear the excitement coming down the hallway. And um, as I said, I'm not a teacher. Um, so I had a curriculum that Prison Fellowship had worked with New Life uh, Fellowship in uh, Phnom Penh, which is a really big Khmer church uh, with uh, an American uh, pastor. His wife is Cambodian, um, and his father planted the church mm, 15, 20 years ago, Chuck, maybe? Yeah, New Life not related to us, though. But good name, good church. And uh, so they'd worked on this curriculum that I was given, and it was on spiritual warfare. Yeah, never been to Bible college. I teach, but I teach, well, I train, I train leadership, Christian leadership skills and tools and not spiritual warfare. So I was, I was excited, but it's very out of my comfort zone. Uh, and these women are from Thailand, because uh, there were some Cambodians, Thailand, uh, Nepal, um, Africa, and I can't remember which small African country she's from, uh, America, a Thai American girl, um, Singaporean, Malaysian. So we spoke in English because that's the, the language that they can commonly use. Um, and so they'd arrive and we would have worship. So no instruments, just our voices. And they would have th four or five pieces of paper of different worship songs that they had, we'd learned. They'd learn with Beth and then I'd introduce one every couple of weeks. and. And they'd love it, and we'd just be singing out, praising Jesus over this Buddhist prison full of six, seven hundred people. Um, and um, and then they would we'd finish worshiping, and I would just pray, and then I'd open my eyes, and they're all just looking at me expectantly, like, "Okay, what's today?" And I'm like, <gasps> "Spiritual war." Am I back? Yeah, I'm back. Right. Hang on. Let's hold that in a different place. So, um, yeah, living out of my comfort zone. You know what? I want to continue living out of my comfort zone. Most of us know the things that we are good at, yeah? And, and, and God uses us in those skills and those things that we're good at. But I know I've learned in the past couple of years especially, that um, it's really exciting to be able to go somewhere and see, wow, you put this skill in me, this talent, this experience that I've had to be able to use it here. But it's too easy for me at least to end up leaning on my own understanding and doing things in my own, in my own strength. Um, and this particular example of being out of my comfort zone has just been mind-blowing. And I have learned so much and I want to continue living out of my comfort zone because man God moves like there was not one two-hour session that would go by that I would walk out and think I just wow wow look what you did today I had no idea what was going to happen each time I came so the first thing would be that I would look at the clock in theory we had from uh, eight till ten and I soon realized after a couple of sessions the guard would come whenever the heck he decided he wanted to come along and say, right, you're out of here, time's up. And usually it was after an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 40 minutes, sometimes an hour 45, but we never got the full two hours. And um, a lot of what we were uh, 
were going through this curriculum was, um, was about contending for your faith. We are saved, we have salvation, but while we're living here on this earth, we have to contend for the victory that, God, that Jesus has already won for us. We can't just sit around and think, sweet, life's sweet, I'm saved. We have a life to live here on this earth for his kingdom and he has given us tools and, and weapons. And we were learning about what the weapons were for because the enemy is real. And, uh, and we've been, God is teaching us in his word how we can contend for this faith. So uh, once I realized after a couple of weeks that we would get stopped short of our two hours, I said to the girls, who do you think it is that doesn't want us to have two hours together to learn about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to pray to him, to declare his truth and his work in this place? Who do you think it is that stops us early? Is it actually the guard? Mm. No, it's the enemy. Yeah, too right it is. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to tell him he can't. That's right, we're going to tell him we can't. And so we began every, the beginning of every session declaring that the enemy had no control over that clock. This time was God's time, and we had two full hours that we had been given permission by the General Department of Prison to be learning about Jesus Christ, which in and of itself is an awesome new thing. I'm, I may have said this already. Um, for 10, 12 years, Prison Fellowship's been working, a Christian organization in a Buddhist country, in Buddhist prisons, and we have not been allowed to verbally preach the gospel. So we've done lots of different services, caring for people and expressing the love of Jesus without actually being able to verbally speak the gospel out. And now the laws change, so Muslims can be in there and Buddhists and Hindu and whoever would like to be in there talking about their faith, you're now allowed. So even the ability to do that uh, is amazing and, and God is working. So anyway, the first day that we prayed this, the guard didn't even come back and it got to like 10, 10.03 and I'm like, oh, I, I've got to go. I've got a car waiting outside for me. Thank you, Jesus. And the girls were just like, whoa. And then the next week we did the same thing. And the same thing happened. And they're just in shock. And to be perfectly honest, I was a wee bit in shock too, which is ridiculous, right? Like, I believe this stuff, otherwise why would I be there? But it was a wee bit, like, awesome. Thanks, Jesus. This is what a great testimony. So we got our whole two hours every week after that for the next six months. And... Um, so, you know, we would end the sessions and they would go back to their cells worshipping. So, yeah, they'd line up and they'd, they'd march, but they were singing out loud over this place of, you know, six, seven hundred people. So I'm loud, singer. And the African girl, she was amazing. So, you know, even if it was just us, but there was, there was 15 of us generally just singing out um, worship to Jesus Christ over this horrible, awful place. It's... I don't know what words to use to describe it, but it's pretty barren, dry, rules, regulations, no one cares about anybody. Um, yeah, it's, it's awful. I mean, I'd never been into, well, I think maybe I'd been in once to a New Zealand prison, um, but Cambodian prison is a whole lot worse. Anyway, so um, we, there was one morning where uh, 
we'd finished the, the curriculum on um, spiritual warfare and I got up early and I'm, okay, God, what do, you, what do you want me to speak on this morning? And he gave me um, a scripture. And I would always go in with a Cambodian, Sari, he, and he would teach the Cambodian girls after worship and I would teach the, the foreigners speaking English. And um, we didn't sort of stick at the same pace to the curriculum um, for obvious reasons because people are at different places while you're learning. And uh, anyway, this morning I'd given, God had given me a scripture that I just sort of thought, okay, well, I'll take that and we'll see what happens. So we finished worship and I looked up and I looked at Sari and I said to him, Sari, have you got, have you got something on your heart that you want to talk about? Blow me down. He had the same scripture that God had given me that morning. So he was speaking to the girls slowly in English and then translating himself um, to the Cambodian girls. And uh, I was just like, and one of the girls said to me, are you okay? And I said, yeah, but I need to tell you what's just happened here. That's the scripture that God gave me. And Sari and I have not talked. That's the Holy Spirit at work. He wants us to hear this word and to be talking about it today. So we would do a lot of uh, practical talking about what is God, what's God been doing? What's he been doing in the last week since I was here? What's he been showing you? What scripture have you just read, even if you don't understand it? And I'd get them to read things out in their own mother tongue. So we'd have the Nepalese lady reading scripture out in Nepalese. It didn't matter that nobody else understood it. It's the truth, the word of God being spoken out loud over her life. You know, and every, at the beginning of every session, we would just read these 10 bullet points of scripture out loud together in our own languages. So there's like five languages being spoken at the same time, declaring the word of God. Um, so this one day, uh, the ne- maybe the next week, um, God showed me uh, uh, a study and a scripture uh, about making our own plans <laughs> and um, how he wanted me to talk to them about our plans and this is what I'm asking you for, my shopping list, Lord, and bless my plans because they're good, right? Uh, so very much speaking to me. Um, which is, you know, it's a big thing to go out and then speak to somebody and say, this is what I believe God's saying, knowing he's definitely saying it to me too. So you're learning while you're talking. And the number of times, being an extrovert, I guess, but I would be speaking and then, and I would be saying things that were totally off curriculum and then I'd be thinking, whoa, where did that come from? Like for me, the whole, I, I know that that's how the Holy Spirit works, but when it's happening in the middle there and they're all looking at me like I know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, but God does. Um, so we were talking about trusting God's instructions, even if he doesn't give us the entire instruction manual for this particular plan of God's all at once. Do I trust enough to step the next step, even though I don't, I, I don't know, I can't see the end result, but I know what you're telling me to do. Can I take a step? Am I going to fall off the cliff? No, God's got me. Um, and uh, you know we talked about the scripture about lean not on your own understanding and you know I'm sitting there speaking this and it's not like talking to you guys I'm speaking this knowing I'm going to leave in two hours or one hour they're here for 23 years for 28 years They're stuck 
it's a hideous thought if you actually stop to think. Do I really believe this scripture that I'm telling them is the word of God? So we talk about what they can do in this place. Um, you know, that I would come back a week later, two hours on a Tuesday morning, and then I'd leave, and I'd go about the work that, that I was doing, and I'd come back, and everything was the same, and it was such a slap-in-the-face reality check. What have, I, what have I actually been doing? It's so easy for me to get distracted by the life outside, by everything that's going on. And it was just a reminder every week to only be about my father's business, to talk about his goodness with people, to look for what he's doing, to ask him every day, what do you want me to be a part of? What are you doing? Not what am I doing for you? Um, and so it, I, it really dawned on me the immense responsibility I had in these two hours to help these girls get the most out of these two hours, to be able to feed on the word, to be able to talk about what was really happening. And so I would say to them, you know, so what have you been doing? What has God been showing you? And slowly, it took months, but slowly there would be stories that, that you know, they'd prayed for each other in the middle of the night when they'd woken up and one was in, you know, cold sweats and having nightmares. And because I'd shown them, you can just lay your hand and declare Jesus' name. If you don't know what to say, just say his name. And they would begin to do that. And they realized that working together and declaring together what they believed, that God would move. You know, they didn't like each other. It's not like they chose to flat together for 23 years. Yeah, it's a consequence of decisions. But they, when I began working with them, you could tell, you could feel the tension in the room as they'd look at it. I knew that there was stuff going on. And in the beginning, you know, they would come and they would nod and they would, you know, talk about good God stuff. But there would be underlying barbs in languages I didn't necessarily understand. They were hard-hearted. And I, I don't know whether, whether they're in there fairly or unfairly, but the fact is they're there. And they certainly didn't like each other. But gradually as they recognized the reality of we are daughters of, of the Most High God, we are sisters in Christ and actually we need each other and we can work together to help each other, to build each other up and to have impact in this place. But it took a bit because, you know, every week when I would ask um, also, you know, what prayer needs have you got? And, um, you know, they would say, why is God not answering my prayers? I tried to call Nepal, I tried to call Africa to speak to my family the one time in maybe six weeks they'd been allowed the phone because they had enough money to bribe the guard to use the telephone and their family weren't home. I went to court yesterday and I've been praying to God that he would overturn this and I would get bail and I'd be able to get out. Why is he not answering my prayers? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is, don't lean on your own understanding because God sees the end. We only see what's happened before and now and he sees the future as well. And it is for good. I don't know. 
But while you're here inside these walls, whether it's fear or not fear, that you're here, he has stuff for you to be doing and you just need to ask him, what do you want me to be doing? You may be out of here in a week. You might not be. I don't know and I don't know why. But while you're here, what do you think he wants you to be doing? How many of you in this room are there that know Jesus Christ? 12? How many people are in this prison? 680? Lots of opportunity. The day that Deb was with me, um, one of the girls had said she would often talk about her boyfriend, who I assume must be in the prison, and uh, she had a testimony that she'd had a dream. And, um, you know, often they would just like to actually be able to talk, so often I didn't know where it was going to go. And um, she started talking and she said, uh, I was with my boyfriend and this man started following us and, you know, I was looking to see what he wanted and my boyfriend was getting really upset that this guy was following us. And she said, you know, this, guy, this man following us had really bright eyes and white hair. And Deb and I were like, looking at each other like, whoa. She got no idea what she's saying because she doesn't know this part of scripture, but she just said, and, and I, just, I just really get the sense that he loves me more than my boyfriend does. And, um, and I just nodded at Deb, and Deb said, well, actually in scripture, this is how Jesus is described in, in Revelation, and, and it's true, he does love you so much more than any living person on this earth, and it's him that you can live for in this place and when you get out. There was another, the Nepalese lady was a real, she's a really anxious person and a real worrier. And, um, and she, I think it was the same day, she talked about how she'd had a dream. It was Pachumbin, and Pachumbin is a spirit festival. And um, I had warned them, given the morning that next weekend for four or five days, it's the spirit festival, because they don't know what's going on. They don't know when it's a public holiday or, you know, the king's had a birthday or they have no idea what's going on outside those walls. There's no such thing as the internet in there or newspapers or um, Facebook. Uh, they, um, she had lived a really strong uh, Hindu life and was beginning to realize um, the reality of evil. That actually all that stuff she'd seen never happened if it wasn't of Jesus Christ, then it was of the enemy. And, you know, I think that those girls, well, I know that they did, do, have so much more awareness of the spiritual realm than, than I do, maybe because of the culture that we grow up in. Here, we're not kind of brought up in uh, a culture where there is spiritual discussion often, um, whereas with the African girl, the black magic, um, the Nepalese lady, and, um, you know, the high uh, Hindu, I don't know, stuff that goes on, they had a real understanding when I would teach them the word of exactly what was going on in the spiritual realm. So she said that she'd had this dream about a mountain uh, in Nepal where she would often go when she was a kid because her granddad lived there. And she saw in this dream um, the shadow over the mountain was gradually becoming less and less as the light came up the sun came up over the mountain and she knew that 
and then eventually she saw her granddad's house and she knew God was saying to her in this dream, you will go back there to this mountain and I have conquered this mountain. I am here. And for her, I mean, she would just every, every Tuesday when I was there, prayer request was get me out of here. I'm never going to get out of here. What am I going to do in this place? I'm so scared that I'm going to be here forever. And so God had given her hope, maybe not a time frame or a deadline or the end of the plan, how it was going to happen. But she had new hope in her that she would get back to her homeland. Um, so we would talk about um, sanctification and salvation, we're saved. And if anything happens, we will see the Lord face to face. But we talked about sanctification day by day, becoming more and more like him. Day by day, binding our own hearts, our own thought processes, our will, our decision making to the Holy Spirit in us, who lives in us. But we have to choose to do that each day. And um, and yeah, the the I guess one of the major things that I learned was they were new to all this stuff. So there was stuff popping up from their past every time we met and we, were, we would stop and, because I never knew what time we might get stopped by the guards, so I would stop and say, right, let's stop and pray for this particular thing, whether it's you know the binding of um, the, what the enemy still has over them from their past. So there was repentance happening all the time. Um, and in one of those books... Um, there's a quote that says, where the foundation of repentance is strong, there will be victory over sin, not just remorse. So the first two or three months, there was lots of remorse, and there was lots that we were praying for. And um, it, they'd repent, but what I saw was they weren't just saying, oh, oops, sorry, God. It was wholehearted Repentance. They understood the fear of the Lord. They understood this God is bigger than any other gods I've ever worshipped. You know, and of course we would talk about grace and the fact that, that we live on the other side of grace. Jesus Christ died for us and we can always go back to the, to the grace, to the foot of the cross and know I am loved regardless. Yet... I was getting from these books I was reading, what was happening in these two-hour sessions that suddenly became the focus of my entire week, the balance of the gospel. Yes, we have grace. Yet if we believe who he is who he says he is, we just saying, show me your glory, show me your glory. Do we understand what we're asking? Do we fully comprehend who God is, if he is who he says he is, what are we doing with that? Yes, he's our friend, but he is the God of the entire universe. When we see him face to face, he will ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? You're in, you're saved. But what did you do with what I gave you to do on earth, in your human lives, living in the flesh? He knows the motivations of our heart. No, it's not about works, but it is about obedience. Obedience. 
I don't want to just slide in there and go, I'm saved. If he is truly who he says he is, who we say he is, each one of us on our own, not with our husband, not with our wife, not with our mother or our father, not with our children, on our own, we will stand before him. And I want to know that I've done what he's asked me to do. There are so many things that we can each be doing, and they're probably good, but is that what he's asking you to do? Please, can you put the first slide up? Finally got there, sorry. Malachi 3:16 to 17. Then those who feared the Lord talked often one to another, and the Lord listened, and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who reverenced and worshipfully feared the Lord and who thought on his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day when I publicly recognize and openly declare them to be my jewels, my special possession, my peculiar treasure, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. That first verse made me think of those women in that prison talking often one to another and the Lord was listening and I would encourage them when the Lord showed me that you don't need me here any time any time you see each other that you need to talk to each other do it Talk about what God's doing. Testimony is strong. You need to build each other up. Are we listening to what the Lord has for us each day? You know, I was learning with them in my weakness. God was fully present and he was leading and guiding each to our session. As I said, every time I would walk out and think, wow, I'm so pleased that you're in charge. I'm a planned person. For those that were on the retreat, we did some personality stuff. I am J to the hilt. I have calendars. I plan because it makes me feel calm and in control. I'm not that way to the extreme that I used to be because God's shown me if you let go of some of that planning and just be prepared which is not the same thing I have the plan and I'll show you what you need to know when you need to know it be prepared Can you bring up the next slide, please? So for me, uh, hearing but not doing um, was a big lesson. You know, those women in prison are seeing what is happening as they begin to do what they're being taught. And for them, it might be as simple as standing in the food line and serving somebody else or actually saying, good morning, how are you today?
this is a scripture that really is one of those ones I always wanted to just gloss over. Because really, it's a bit scary to think about what it really means. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is Jesus. This is the New Testament. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people think, they think that they're in. They think that they're doing what God wants them to be doing. I want to know, I, I want to know what this means because I don't want to get there, slide in, and then realize I didn't actually do what he asked me to do. If Jesus is saying these words, I need to take them seriously. So what is lawlessness? Lawlessness is sin. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. What does lawlessness look like? It looks like not submitting to God's authority. It looks like rejecting the will of God and substituting my will, which might not be evil. It looks like, to me, this is what I have been processing for the last 12 months, simple distraction, procrastination, if distraction, if it, beca if it continues, then it becomes disobedience to submitting to the will of God. If we neglect or place no emphasis on keeping his commands or his will, then it's counterfeit grace. And it's gonna cause people to stray and it's gonna cause them to make light of obedience. He wants us to confess and do the will of God. I don't want to make light of obedience. And to be obedient, I need to know what he's asking me to do. So that means that excuses create lawlessness. In Luke 14, um, they talk about the, the feast par parable. Luke 14, 16. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. In the book Undercover, the author, his take on this scripture, and I guess there's, there's more than one, he believes that Jesus was speaking to those already in the kingdom. They had been invited and they knew him, but when he said come, they made excuses. Um, and there are um, three people that he talks about, that Jesus talks about. Um, one guy is buying land. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't come. I've got to go and deal to my land that I've just bought. Buying land is not sin, right? 
But when positions become more important than the immediate submission to the will of God, it's lawlessness. Um, there's another guy and he's just bought some oxen and um, he has to go and deal to them. So guessing that he had industry or business, it, it, you know, the oxen did the work, the hard heavy work and ploughed the fields or bought up the crops or whatever it was that the oxen were for, was for his business. Industry and business is not sin. But if it's prioritised ahead of immediate submission to the will of God, come, listen, do, it's lawlessness. And the third guy just got married. Good on him. Getting married is not a sin. But when pleasing your spouse is more important than the immediate submission to the will of God, it's lawlessness. You know, Adam didn't gamble in the garden. He didn't look at pornography. He didn't murder anyone. But he didn't submit to the will of God. So I began asking, what am I distracted by? What am I not seeing? Because I'm not listening and I'm not asking you. My own examples of the things that the Lord showed me that I needed to repent of. Frustration. If we see people or institutions where they are and get frustrated, we're distracted from what God is calling us to do. God showed me that I need to see them where they are called to be. And then to help them get there as God leads me. As I said, I'm, I'm an organised, I'm an organised corporate girl from New Zealand who's worked in the Western world for over a decade in, in corporate projects. And I now live in a country where they practically don't even have a clock. I'm sure we could get done, things done more effectively and efficiently. And I've had to learn it will happen in God's timing. And my job is not to put clocks on everybody and give them wristwatches and tell them to stick to time. My job is to see them or the organisation and the, the vision that we're working for where God sees them and help them to get there. Not put on them my values and my way of doing things because I know better and God's given me a good plan. One of the other things that most recently um, I've had to repent of was actually when Jared was speaking about six, seven weeks ago. Looking back, we must not look back once that we have reflected and gleaned the lessons that the Lord has for us. If we're still looking back, we're not ready to go forward. And I had a fear of the past repeating itself. So to me, it looked like caution. I was just being careful. But I had to repent of putting that fear ahead of the will of God because ultimately it was a lack of trust.
And since that day in recognising I needed to repent of something that didn't look like sin to me, but it was lawlessness because it wasn't obedience to the will of God to trust him. My life has tipped upside down in the past couple of months and I can hardly even believe it's the same life. Philippians 3.13 Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Can you bring up the next slide, please? Do we have a lifestyle similar to those in the parable of the feast? Have we developed a pattern of placing our agenda, our pleasure and our plans before the commands of Jesus? Because in a way today that's kind of normal. Do we live out our confession of submission to his lordship? He's not just our saviour. He's asking us, will you make me Lord of your life in every area? He is our saviour and our Lord. Or do we obey what fits in with our plans and are we unaware of our own lawlessness? I don't want to be unaware. So, back to repentance. My biggest lesson, to be quick to repent. Not to be afraid to make an accurate evaluation of myself. Not to hide my faults or make excuses of them, for them. I'm certainly still learning. It's not easy to do this stuff. Excuses are the biggest veil that keep us from seeing ourselves as we are and from seeing God for who he is. It's, it's heavy stuff and there's a big silence in here. And I just pray that that from me sharing some of the things that I've learned that some of you may walk out of here with slightly new lenses on. That you would, I pray that you would be hungry for more of what he has for you and for what he's asking of you. He never gives us more than we can handle at one time, which is why it takes so many years. <laughs> which is why when you think you've learned to listen and then it comes back, you're like, really? Didn't I learn this already? Yeah, but I gave you what you could handle then. Now I'm giving you a little bit more. You're ready. So Father, I just thank you for this time.
Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak in your still, quiet voice to each person in this room, Lord. May they hear from you what you would be speaking to them right now. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the eternity that you have promised us. And Lord, I just ask that you would show each one of us the reality of that eternity, the reality that it's not all about this little portion of eternity of our life on earth, Lord, but what we choose to do with this life on earth is of the utmost importance to you. Lord, I just pray that you would just burn a new passion, a fresh fire in each person. We thank you for your word, Lord God, and we want to know and understand all of it, not just part of it. And Lord, I just ask that for every question that may be being asked of you right now, Lord, that you that you would give clarity and answer the portion that you know is for this time. And I pray for a renewed uh, trust in you and in your plans. And I ask that you would help us to relinquish ours. Help us to be prepared. Help us to know what that looks like, Lord. And help us to understand how much of our own planning you want us to do and how much you want us to leave to you. Holy Spirit, must have your way in this place today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.